good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys this morning. I hope you're having a great day. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I want to talk about something uh, really quickly before we dive into God's Word this morning. But if you want to tune out and not listen to what I'm going to say here at first, you can open up your Bibles and be doing that if you don't want to hear this first part. You can grab your Bible and go to 2 Samuel chapter 15. That's where we're going to be. Okay, here's what I want to tell you about. They mentioned these children's resources downstairs, okay? And I I say this because I know how important it is to have something that you can take home and study with your kids, okay? So I personally, I'm getting these three, um, and I just wanted to highlight these. I'll talk about them next week too, but I'm getting a boy's guide to making really good choices. I happen to have two boys. Hmm, all right, sounds good. I'll say nothing else about that. Okay, uh, and then they have one. They have one that's uh, for uh, doodling. It's like a doodling devotion. I'm getting this for my daughter. She loves to draw. Um, again, we don't. I, I'm not saying this because we we don't we lose money on these. Okay, this is not. There's nothing in this except you getting to equip your kids to know Jesus. That's it. Okay, and then the other one I'm going to get is indescribable. It's devotions about God and science. And what I love about this is that those two things do not contradict one another. And so often we think that they do. And so I, I want you to know that they, they don't, okay? So um, the other thing along with that, as far as our children's ministry, um, on Sunday the 18th, the kids are going to come up here and sing. Woohoo! Right? That sound like fun? Kids are going to come up here and sing. So parents, you want to know about that? Um, we had some cards that were set to go out for you this week, but they, they didn't get done in time, so you'll see them next week. So we just want you to know you can prepare ahead of time, um, you know, that, that the kids are going to go up and sing, and you don't, they don't have to dress up or anything fancy, whatever. They'll be fine, okay? But we'll have a good time. Okay, let's go ahead and open up to 2 Samuel chapter 15, and we're going to look at chapters 15 and 16 together. This is the last week of our series called A Tale of Three Kings. We've looked at Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else, right? Like if you were going to pick whoever was the greatest in the nation, you would have been like, that's the guy. I want to follow him. He, he's tall, dark, and handsome. I mean, he was, he was the man, and everybody was like, great, let's follow him. But things didn't go so well. And then David, David comes along, and David is a man after God's own heart, and things went really, really well until David got comfortable. We talked about how David was a man of courage and a man of mercy, and then later in life when when he got comfortable, instead of being courageous, he got comfortable, he stayed at home. Instead of being merciful, he grew passive, and he didn't do the things that he needed to do to follow God, and it's wrecked his family. Last week, we looked at the story of David and, and, and Amnon and Tamar, and we started looking at a man named Absalom. Today, we're going to continue the story of the three kings by looking at a man named Absalom. Now, a number of years ago, I did something that I'd never done before, and I haven't done again. You can determine after this story, why I haven't done it again. I did a little race called a triathlon. Anybody ever done one of those? You you know what it is, right? Try, I mean three, there's three different 
athletic endeavors. There is a run, and depending on how, you know, how, what distance you're doing, like an Ironman triathlon involves a 26.3 mile or marathon run. An Ironman uh, uh, bike involves a 110 mile bike, okay? And an Ironman swim has a minimum of a one mile swim. Oftentimes it's further than that. I did, I didn't do the Ironman, okay? I mean, I know I look like one, but you know, I did, I, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I didn't do that, right? I did a, a short one, a, a, a sprint, they call it. And the swim was the part that I was really kind of nervous about. Not because I'm a bad swimmer, I just hate it. And when the, when the race started, you, you stand on land, and you, there's, there was this race that I was doing, the wave that I was in, and they call it that for a reason, okay? The wave that I was in was about 50 or 60 people at a very narrow dock, and you run out, and you take off, and you do this swim, and we had to swim out, and it was like a, 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 a triangle that we had to swim around these buoys. Well, I take off, I make it past the first buoy, and I'm like, this is terrible, I want to die, you know? I make the turn, okay? As I'm going towards the second buoy, I just decided, whatever, I'm all in. It's, it's, you know, just about as far to swim back now, so you might as well just go. So I put my head down, and I just go to town. Stroke after stroke after stroke. I didn't look up. I wasn't paying attention to where I was going. I just kept going, going, going. Back in. You're laughing. Why are you laughing at me? Because you know what I did, don't you? Let's just say the first buoy's here, the second buoy's here. Aaron was out here. <laughs> yeah. I ended up someplace I never intended to be. I never wanted to be. I ended up someplace that was completely out of route. It made me swim an extra 200 meters, if not more, because then, in order to qualify, I had to swim all the way back to the other buoy and then swim all the way back in. And when I got out of the water, uh, I was dead last. How did, how did that happen? I mean, it, it happened because I wasn't paying attention to my direction. It happened because I wasn't paying attention to where my strokes were taking me. It happened because I forgot something that I learned long ago. Uh, uh, another pastor, Andy Stanley, said this, and I think it, it, it sums it up so well. He said this, direction determines destination. Like if I'm pointing this direction, I'm never going to end up over there. And that's true for our lives as well. That the, the things that we aim towards, the things that we give our time to, that determines not our intentions. See, I never intended to swim all the way out there. I never intended to go that far. I never intended to do that. But where I pointed myself, that took me where I went. And the reality is, that that happened in Absalom's life too, this last king that we're going to look at. And I think it can happen in our lives where we end up someplace that we never intended to be. So I would, I would guess that there's a, a couple different groups of people in this room today that I would guess that maybe you're in here today and you, you have ended up someplace that you never intended to be. 
You, you got yourself in a bind. You ended up someplace where you're like, man, this is not what I thought my marriage would look like. This is not what I thought my life, my job, my finances. I never thought my relationships, my family, my parents, I never thought that I would end up where I'm at. If that's you, I want you to know that there's an incredible story of redemption and hope found in this, if we will listen to it. But there's also another group of, of people that I believe that this particular text is designed to speak to. There's a, there's a story in this text about Absalom that's designed to warn us so that we wake up and check what we're aiming at so that we don't end up someplace we never intended to be. I want you to see what happened to Absalom because Absalom became the very thing he detested. He became something he never meant to be. If we go back to the story we looked at last week, and if you haven't heard it, let me catch you up. Absalom was the only man in the story from last week that stepped in and did something for his sister Tamar. Tamar was, was wickedly and terribly used and abused and then thrown away, discarded. If you haven't read it, it it's a, it's, to me it's one of the most difficult stories in all of the Bible to read a story of her, her, her brutal abuse. Absalom's the only one who stepped up and said, sister, come here, I'm going to take care of you. But he hated Amnon, the man who had abused her. He hated him, and he plotted and planned and carried out his murder. And step by step, the story that we're going to look at today is a story of Absalom becoming, if not just like, even worse than Amnon. He became the very thing he detested because he didn't, he didn't pay attention to where he was headed. It begs the question, how do you and I, how do we move? How could that happen? How do we move from detesting something to becoming the very thing that we detest? How does that happen? Could it happen to you and me? Could it happen in my life? Or is this just a story that's like, ah, uh, no big deal, I'm immune, that could never happen to me. Here's the thing, I'm telling you, it could happen to you, it could happen to me, because it happened to Absalom one step on the path at a time. And what I want to show you here today is what steps he took so that you and I can determine whether or not we're on the path. So I want to ask you before I look at those, like, what is it that you detest? Is there something that... that that your parents did that you absolutely detest and you would do anything to make sure you are not that person, then we need to watch out for the, the path that we're on. Is there something that you have a coworker that just drives you nuts that you could become? Is there something going on with your boss? Is there someone who hurt you or caused you pain and if you aren't careful, you could become the very same type of person. Well, let me show you what the path Absalom took looks like. Starting in chapter 15 in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along or I'll have it right here and I'll show you in the text 
what happens. In verse 1, it says this, In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. Now let me explain the background, okay? Here's everything that's happened so far. David stepped into sin, blew up his family, then Amnon did his thing and, and, and abused his sister, and then Absalom spent two years plotting and planning and eventually executed his brother Amnon. Amnon is dead. Absalom ran away, and finally David invited him back. Here's where we're at. Absalom is back in Jerusalem, And what's he doing? Absalom is drawing attention to himself. He says, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a chariot and horses. I'm going to get 50 men to run ahead of me like I'm some sort of big deal. Like I'm some sort of up-and-comer, you know? He starts being self-consumed. He starts living a life of self-indulgence. And here's the reality. Man, we can do the same thing. You'd say, well, I'm not, I'm not the son of a king. I don't have all kinds of money. No, but we, we tend to here in America, even though not everybody you know, is in this case, but we tend to have more than we really, really need. How easy it is to become very self-indulgent, to do what I want, to get what I want, to buy what I want, to, to go where I want. And here's the reality. When you live a life of self-indulgence, you are on the path. You're on the path. That's what Absalom did. He's on the path. Verse 2 goes on. says this, He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. No big deal, but this is in their culture. What would happen here is that all of the elder men would gather and they would discuss all sorts of things. And often, this is where the rulers of the city would sit and make judgments over problems or issues. Let's say you had a disagreement with you and your neighbor and you needed somebody to help you. You would go there. So Absalom starts going there day in and day out. Verse In the second part of verse 2, whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, notice who it was supposed to go to. Supposed to go to David. Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? Hey, where are you from? He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. In other words, he'd say, hey, I'm, I'm the same as you. I'm just like you. Then verse 3, then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but I feel really bad there's no representative of the king to hear you. Was that true? No. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case would come to me and I would see that they receive justice. Now there's a couple of things going on here. Absalom's lying. This is not the only time in the story that we'll see Absalom lie, so I'll get to that. But you know what I get a picture of Absalom doing here? I get the picture of Absalom like putting on this, this you know, politician face and he's shaking hands and he's kissing babies and oh, I really, I, I really care about you and I love you. But then behind the scenes, he, he doesn't have the ability to do anything or help anybody. All he's trying to do is to win favor with people. He's trying to sway their hearts. Which tells me, well, he had a public face and then a private life. 
He was two-faced. And the reality is that when your public face is different than your private life, you are on the path. When we show up here or someplace else with one thing, but then in reality, we're living a very different life. We're on the path. He goes on in verse 5. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand and take hold and kiss him. Verse 6, Absalom behaved in this way towards all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so, he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Again, this is a man who had just murdered his brother. To be clear, verse 7, at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow that I made to the Lord. While your servant was living at Geshur in Aram, I made this vow, if the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. Here's the thing. Up until this point, Hebron was the place where kings would be declared. You'd go to Hebron. Samuel would go with them. He would anoint the new king and declare and say, this man is the Lord's king for the nation. And Absalom says, hey, let me go to to Hebron. He says because he wants to worship the Lord, but really he's lying. He's got another motive. See, Absalom was willing to lie and to deceive to accomplish the goals that he had. It tells me, for you and I, when we're willing to lie and to deceive to get something that you think is good, Willing to lie and deceive to avoid paying taxes. Willing to lie and deceive in order to keep your spouse from getting mad at you. Willing to lie and deceive in order to get good grades. Willing to lie and deceive to get somebody else in trouble at work, not you when it was really you. When we're willing to lie and deceive to get something that you think is good, you are on the same path. So am I. When we're willing to do those things, when we're willing to lie to make ourselves look better, when we're willing to deceive, even if it's on social media and not tell the full story, when we are willing to do these things to get what we want, The reality is that we're only adding to the trouble that we thought we would avoid. I remember a time when I was in uh, high school. No, I was in junior high. That's what I was. I was in junior high. I'm getting old enough that I don't remember when it was. (laughs) So I remember when I was in eighth grade in junior high, and my parents had this rule. Their rule was, hey, we don't want you to date until you're 16. Cool. Great idea. Except I was 14, and I thought I was old enough, and I knew better right? No one's ever felt like that before. So I wanted to go to the the school dance, right? 
And my parents, they just said, hey, that's, that's kind of our rule. We're going to wait till this and, and until you're 16 or whatever. But I figured out that I could set up a... Uh, uh, I could set up a time to go hang out at my friend's house, and my friend was going to the dance, so, huh, I don't know. You know, and mom and dad never need to know. So I stayed at Kevin's house, and we went to the dance, and then we came back, and we played Tecmo Super Bowl all night, you know, because, yeah, I'm that old, and, and that's what we did. And then I got home the next morning, and my mom's like, hey, How'd things go last night? I was like, oh, it's great. We played Tecmo Super Bowl. I didn't lie-ish. But I did. She said, oh, so that's all you did last night? Yeah, yeah, it was good. I said, oh, that's funny. I ran into Kevin's mom at the library this morning. She said, you and the girls had a great time. What's that all about? I'll never forget that. See, my parents prayed something for me when I was younger. They prayed that I would always get caught. <laughs> if you're a parent here today, I'd highly recommend it. I'm not sure I got caught every time, but I got caught a lot. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because if we're willing if we're willing, even if it's something that you think is good, if we're willing to, to do that, to lie and deceive, it's taking you somewhere. Your direction, where you're heading, it's taking you somewhere. And you may say, hey, I'm trying to swim from this buoy to this buoy. You may say, that's my intention, but I'm telling you if you're doing this, you're swimming out into open water. It's what you're doing. That's what Absalom was doing. I think when Absalom started, he had good intentions, but step by step by step, it took him very far away from where he intended to go. Look at what else, verse 10. Then Absalom sent, so David allowed him to go, by the way. David said, okay, sure, go to Hebron. And the real plan comes out. In this next verse, then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Here's his real goal. He's like, that's it. I've had enough of David. It's been six years now. Two years that I had to plan to carry out the death of Amnon. David did nothing. Four years now that like David wouldn't even interact with me. He's done nothing. I'm done with him being king. I'm king now. Now, take just, this is, this is for free. How many times do we do the same thing with God? I've been waiting forever. I've been praying. I've been asking, God, where are you? I'm done with you being king. I'm in charge now. How many times have we done that? We're on the path. See, when you're willing to do things in secret that you wouldn't want known publicly, you are on the path. He's sending messages in secret. When you get there, say, Absalom is king. It's keeping it hush-hush. When you're willing to do that, it's taking you someplace. The story continues on in verse 11. 
So 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom, and they had been invited as guests, and they went quite innocently. In other words, they didn't know Absalom's plans. They went along. They're being pulled into this. They're being, you know, there's, there's now a wedge being driven between David and the people he's called to lead, even though they didn't know it. How did that happen? Because Absalom decided to separate people. Absalom decided to cause a problem, to, cause, to drive a wedge in between people. They knew nothing about the matter. I think when we're willing to recruit people to our side, when we're willing to say it's us versus them, when we're willing to be tribalistic and say either you agree with me wholeheartedly or you're them, when we're willing to do that, when we're willing to recruit others to our deceptive ways, we are on the path. Okay, so what happened? Here's what happened. He goes to Hebron. He declares he's king. Everybody starts to figure it out. David hears that this has happened. David knows he's starting to pull people to himself. David knows there's a war coming, and David does not want to fight a war with his son. Can you imagine what that would feel like? So what does he do? He packs everything up, leaves a few, uh, a few of the 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 group of his harem, and that's a whole nother story with David that's like, what in the world is going on? He leaves the palace. He goes on the run again, just like he used to be on the run with Saul, only now it's Absalom who's coming after him. His main advisor, a man named Ahithophel, a very wise man, a man that the scripture says that when he spoke, it was as if God is speaking. A man named Ahithophel went and attached himself to Absalom, probably because he could tell, huh, I can see which side's going to win. And he started giving him advice. Remember, when Ahithophel speaks, it's as if God was speaking through him. In other words, he'd give him wise counsel on how to make things happen. He gives him counsel. Now, he gives him counsel on how to make sure that this war would be over quick. It wasn't counsel that was really, though, in line with the priorities of God. In chapter 16, look at what happens. Verse 20. Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give us your advice. What should we do? He wants to know, how do I speed this up? How do I make this happen? How do I smoke David out so, so this war can be over and I can start leading the kingdom? And this is what Ahithophel says. Ahithophel answered, sleep with your father's concubines who, you, who he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. Everybody who's on your side, they'll be ready to fight. So go do this wicked thing. Wait a minute, how did this whole story with Absalom begin? It began because of a wickedness done to a beautiful young woman. How is it now coming to an end? A wickedness done now to ten women. Look at the next verse. 
So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. There is no easy or good way for me to describe this. He became the monster he hated. He became the very thing that he detested. And it's wicked. How how did that happen? Well, when you're willing to do whatever sounds good, whatever sounds like it will help you accomplish your goals instead of stopping and asking, hey, what does God say? You're on the path. Which begs the question for you and me, are you on the path? I'm not saying you're a monster. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you're as bad as you could be. I just, I, I wonder First and foremost, to that second group of people that I talked about at the beginning, do you see the warning? Is it possible that you're one, two, three, maybe four steps down the path and you need to repent? If so, I want you to know that there's time. but I don't want you to miss what kind of path this is. This is a path that leads to destruction. This is a path that I think Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. He says this. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. In other words, Jesus is saying, we need to stop, we need to turn and go down a different path and go a different direction. If you're really saying you want to go from this buoy to this buoy, then you need to follow that path and stop going out into open water because it leads to destruction. You see, in Absalom's life, his unforgiveness, his pride, the fact that he thought he knew better, they led him into becoming the monster that he was seeking to destroy. And it's the same with you and me. So let me ask you to consider a couple of steps. I asked at the very beginning... How, how could you go? How do you move from detesting something so greatly to becoming the thing that you detest? How do you go? How do you get there? Okay? I, I want to end by wrestling with some choices that you and I can make so that this doesn't happen to us. Okay? There are three choices that you and I can make so that we don't end up where Absalom did. And this is where I think we find hope, okay? The first choice that that we need to make is we need to choose forgiveness over revenge. Listen, Absalom had the choice. He could have brought Amnon before the king. He could have brought him before the priest. He could have brought him before the law and said, hey, you did this wicked thing. We will let the law judge you. 
And he waited and he waited and he waited. And, and honestly, in a lot of ways, it was David's responsibility. And David shirked it. But then Absalom decided to take it into his own hands. How often do we do the same thing? Somebody's hurt us deeply. And it just doesn't go away. So we choose revenge. Ah, maybe you don't go and kill somebody, but you kill them with your eyes, you kill them with your thoughts, you kill them with your words, you kill them with your gossip, you kill them with your social media. And you say, oh, I wasn't writing that about them. Come on. Come on now. Choose forgiveness over revenge. I just want to ask you, who do you need to forgive? Because this whole story of David and Amnon and Absalom really comes down to if somebody had stepped in and chosen to forgive, the whole family would have been different. Right? Choice number two. Choose humility over pride. This story is a story of Absalom choosing to draw attention to himself and get things. Why? Because he deserved it and David didn't move so I need to take it into my own hands and he's got to understand that this is, this is my life too and I'm going to do what I want. It's a very American thing to say. What if he had just stopped and said, you know what, Lord? I'll lay it at your feet. Cheers to deal with. It'd be a very different story. I wonder, is there someone that you need to humble yourself before? Is there a coworker? Is there a neighbor who is just driving you crazy? Or a family member that you cannot stand the text thread that you all have because of the things that they post or say? Is there someone that you need to humble yourself before? Philippians chapter 2 is so clear, right? It's like, don't think of our own things only, but think of the things for others as well. That's the call. Choice number three. Absalom ended up in a place where he chose to do what he thought was expedient. He chose to do what he thought would, would um, bring about the end result that he wanted. Rather than choosing to do what God said, he chose what worked. He chose what would produce the results he wanted rather than what was right. We need to choose what's right over what works. You may look at it and you go, well, this will work. This will certainly get my boss's attention even though I know it won't honor God. It'll get his attention. Or if I say this, man, it'll get her riled up and we'll have that fight we've been even needing to have, but she deserves it. What about what's right? I wonder, as I look at the life of Absalom, there were sins that he just kept rationalizing and he kept looking over. I wonder, what sin are you rationalizing? So here's the end of the tale of three kings. The war occurs. Great battle. David wants to spare Absalom. Absalom gets his long, flowy mane. I just get a picture of Fabio riding through the forest, you know. He gets his hair caught in a tree somehow. I don't even know how that's possible. 
Maybe that's why I cut my hair so short. I don't know, you know. And Joab, the commander of David's army, even though he knew what David said, decided to kill him. Put an end to the war. We have three kings. Some of the best of the best in all of the nation of Israel. And none of them could provide what Israel really needed. Here's why. God had warned them all along. You don't need a king. king a king is just going to cause you trouble. You need to look to me. And the reality is today, we need to know that there is absolutely no substitute for King Jesus. I, I don't know where you might be at on that path. But I'm gonna, I want to tell you, if you will stop right now and turn to Jesus, he will deliver you. All we have to do is ask. There's no political figure, no governor, no president, no senator, no representative, no mayor, no one who can ever give you what you really need apart from Jesus. Please, today, bow your knee before him. Make him your king. If you're on this path, it's time to get off. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you've given us your son and that we can turn to him. God, that's my prayer. That even right now as we sit and in a minute have just a time of communion, that we would honestly search our hearts and turn to you. God, it's my prayer that we would be honest about where we're at on that path that Absalom found himself on. And that we'd humble, humble ourselves. That we wouldn't rationalize sin. We'd extend grace and forgiveness where it's needed. God, thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.